Hello and welcome to All Things Urticaria from Medthority. In this series of podcasts, our host, Professor Marcus Maurer, is joined by his friends and colleagues to discuss all things urticaria. Over to Professor Maurer. Hello and welcome back to yet another episode of All Things Urticaria. My name is Marcus, Marcus Maurer. I'm here in Berlin and today I'm joined by Moshe and I'm so happy to have you on this episode. Hi, Moshe. Hi, happy to be here. Moshe, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you are, and what your favorite urticaria is? So, um, Dr. Moshe Ben Shoshan, I was born and in Israel, and I did my pediatric and general medicine um, training in Israel, and then went to McGill to pursue a career in allergy immunology. I did my fellowship in allergy immunology pediatrics in McGill and also did a master's in epidemiology and statistics in McGill as well. And since then, I've been basically a clinician scientist involved in both clinical studies and uh, aspired by clinical cases to uh, generate new research questions and try to bridge some knowledge gaps. And one of my main interests is uh, chronic urticaria, especially because as I started as a pediatric allergist immunologist, nobody wanted to see these patients. And that was around 2008, 2009. And I established an urticaria clinic for children and found that I quite enjoyed it, especially the research part of it. And, uh, t- and then took it from there to establish a, a registry for chronic urticaria in children in, in Canada. Very cool. No, and you are a motor of the UK network. You and your team are doing so much um, and uh, some of the most exciting research within the network. But we'll, we'll come to that. Um, what what made you um, focus so much on urticaria? You say it wasn't a much like disease when you first got into it. Do you feel that this has changed since then? I feel that it changed. I feel that there are two reasons for the change. So first of all, I started because nobody wanted to see this patient and I felt that they were not, they were mismanaged in many ways because they were falling in between, you know, uh, specialties like derm and allergy and pediatricians. They were treated inappropriately. Like the first patient that prompted my interest was a patient that was two years on steroids. He was an 18 year old, go, years old and went into adrenal crisis whenever he was sick. And mm. we should manage him better. And I think so. That's one of the things that prompted my interest. And then I think things have changed for me uh, specifically because I think we had we were introduced to a new biologic. At 2010, suddenly uh, there was raised interest in molizumab. Mm. And for me and for my patient, it was the first magical management of chronic urticaria. And I yeah. think that many things because suddenly we, we had something to offer this patient that was not only controlling things, but you know, improving their quality of life, being like magical. Remember the emails because I'm communicating my patients with emails, and I remember the immense change it you know introduced into their life. So I think that caused a big change, and I think the other big change is this UCare network that put everything into awareness and co- you know created that collaboration between dermatologists and allergists to treat the patients. Now, you make a very good point. The availability of treatment options, of course, makes it more interesting for some of us to to put even more focus to this disease. Um, Tell me a little bit more about your use of omalizumab in children. Uh, Are there challenges for you? Uh, Do you also treat uh, patients with um, uh, other forms of chronic urticaria? I'm curious. 
Yeah, so it's a big challenge because officially omalizumab is approved for chronic care in children only that are 12 years and older, although it's approved for asthma for six years and older. So most of my initial treatment for omalizumab, because I'm treating also toddlers and preschool children with chronic care, were off-label uses. Um, some of them went through the, you know, that door of asthma because some of them had asthma. So that first patient that I saw with, uh, you know, um, adrenal suppression had also asthma, like, uh, you know, fortunately. And although he had asthma was not that severe, his early care was the main compromise for his quality of life. He benefited immensely by being approved to be treated by omalizumab. And then I had other patients that were approved off-label because they had private insurance, so I was able to use omalizumab in these patients. And I was a bit of a cowboy initially giving, you know, to two years old and three years old omalizumab, but I felt so comfortable with that drug and so comfortable compared to other management options that I had, that I had to uh, to do it for these children. And I think they're still grateful. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and, and, their, and their parents probably, Moshe. I mean, these are parents who've been running from, uh, well... Uh, a lot of different places. Hey, two-year-olds, how does that work? I mean... Um... Yeah, works very well. I was doing myself, nobody, everybody, uh, you know, uh, official people refused to give injections. I did it myself. Uh, goes very well. I use usually the 150 because we had some financial, uh, you know, restrictions. But the 150 works very well. Um, I remember a case of a girl. So just to show, to say that children are not small adults, the same way that adults are not big children most of the times. Mm -hmm. So um, you, the physiology and biology is a bit different. And I remember a case of a two-year-old that was admitted to hospital like ten times a year with so-called anaphylaxis because she had, you know, forty percent of patients who care also in children may have angioedema. So she had swelling of the lips, she had the hives. And again, to exemplify where children are different than adults, I think she was so annoyed because she was not appropriately treated, she would get into breath-holding spells. So she would lose, her, you would lose her consciousness, and then she went through bone marrow, for EEG, uh, for uh, you know all the tests in the world, yeah, and yeah. she had simply chronic spontaneous urticaria. I started on 150, and immediately everything resolved after two years. You know, the, I, could, I was able to stop the viomolizuma. So that's an immense change, an immense you know. Uh, cost-effectiveness strategy for these patients. Um, cool. Yeah, so I was a little bit of a pioneer in that area. I hope, you know, the age for chronic care treatment in rivonolizumab will be reducing children soon, but clearly we see the, advan the advantage. I was treating also children with other off-label uh, indication, uh, such as uh, mastocytosis and, um, and idiopathic anaphylaxis, and it works extremely well. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's also the experience that we make in the adults, but it's so satisfying to see that uh, in a in an age population where there's a lot of uh, misconceptions and doubts, you know, and we need those data. It's uh, fantastic to see what you're doing. Um, I want to dig a little bit deeper into differences between children and adults with urticaria. Now, if someone came to you today and said, um, we don't know anything about the causes of chronic urticaria in children. Would that still be true in your, from your point of view? Well, it's partially true. I mean, we know in adults for sure it's an autoallergy, it's an autoimmune. And I tell parents again, the first sentence that I tell parents that I see them, it's not an allergy. It's not that, that your child reacted to something in the external environment. It's something inside him. So it's more like an autoimmune condition. 
There was one study showing some uh, uh, biomarkers uh, indicating autoimmunity also in children. And we do also the CD63, which is a marker of autoimmunity in children. And we can see that it can help predict management and the progression of disease. So we think it's autoimmune in children, but we're not sure yet what is the autoallergen. Will it be interleukin-24 like in adults? We're not sure. So still there are a lot of knowledge gaps, not only in the management of chronic urticaria in children, but also in regarding the pathogenesis of chronic urticaria in children. I see another UCARE project, Moshe. We need to answer that question. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Hey, you said something earlier about angioedema, which in adults with chronic spontaneous urticaria, we know can affect up to 70%. You know, it's, it's, it's not rare at all. What, how often do you see this in kids? Between 20 to 40% of kids will present also with angioedema. Um, yeah, and th that in children makes the parents much more worried because they say, okay, he's almost, you told me he won't have anaphylaxis, he won't need the EpiPen, but look at her photo and she sent me somebody, you know, with that, the Botox lips, yeah? And, yeah. Uh, and I thought, you know, that's not dangerous. It will not progress. So first of all, calm down. You don't need to give the epinephrine. I mean, you give the epinephrine, it won't do much harm. The child will have palpitations, but it won't, you know, serve its chronic urticaria. It can come back again. That's not the issue here. So we see that in children. I've, and that's one of the, again, the first thing that I tell parents, don't be worried if it comes back again, or if you presented with, present with angioedema, that's part of the disease. It can happen. How do they take that? I, I, I feel that with a few children that we treat, a uh, few young children, I mean, we do treat adolescents. I, I sometimes... Correct me if I'm wrong. You you see a lot more kids than we do. Um, that it is the it is the mother that I'm treating more so than the child. She that the mother seems to be more itchy than than the child. And I'm not saying the child is not itchy, but the mother is super itchy. Yeah, you know? yeah, for sure. There's an anxiety component here, yeah. and the mothers are. Sometimes it's also the fathers. Let's not be discriminated. <laughs> but the father, yeah, and the fathers sometimes are very anxious. Um, so I find that it's very helpful when I'm communicating with them. So um, we also uh, generated a new video to explain to children, you know, a cartoon to explain to children and parents what is chronic urticaria. Um, again, to reduce some of these misconceptions and fake news regarding chronic urticaria uh, in children. It's very important. So that's one of the things. And the other thing is that tight communication. And I find that after you cross that first barrier, um, the parent seems much more relaxed and in control. They know that if they need me, I'll call them. They, they, I will communicate. I will answer the emails within usually, you know, we are quite, both of us, quite fast with our emails. So within an hour, they get their answers and cool. they know that there's something looking over them, somebody looking. I think part of the thing was that nobody, th these patients often required constant management and they, doctors were overwhelmed with that. So we didn't answer these patients' concern. So once these initial concerns are answered, things tr start to repeat themselves. So parents feel more comfortable managing it. I think, Moshe, this is so important. You know, if, you know, our best drugs, our best tools can only work when they are embedded into um, buy-in from the patients, from the parents. You no, know? and they need to understand what we are trying to do, what our aims are, what we, what our concept is to have something that they can work with. You know, uh, this misconception that this is an allergy and that we must do the allergy test to find what is wrong with their child. It, you know, it's 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 a global problem. No. Hey, and fake news, chronic urticaria in children. I have two more for you. 
chronic urticaria in children is less common than in adults. True or not? Not true. So about 1% of adults and children can experience chronic urticaria. The only difference between adults, it seems to be more, more common in women, while in children, it seems that there's no gender disparity or sex disparity, I should say. Yeah, yeah I, I, I agree with you there. Uh, I think the data are convincing in that there's no uh, gender uh, disbalance before puberty, and then it starts. You know, we know that this is a female disease in adults, and it starts with puberty. Very interesting, and and something else that we need to figure out. You know, why is that? You know? um, another one: fake news in chronic urticaria. True or not? Chronic urticaria in children does not last as long as it lasts in adults. False. So uh, we did uh, a study with Dr. Nechi Puruk, again, an, an exam example of uh, collaboration between allergists and dermatologists. And we follow chronic urticaria patients between 2013 to 2016, 17. And uh, we've shown that the rate of resolution is 10%, exactly like in adult per year. So it is a debilitating and a chronic disease in children as it is in adults. Again, there are some knowledge gaps that we still need to bridge and answer, but it seems that at least regarding resolution, it's uh, as uh, slow to resolve as it is in adults. And you know, I think there's two important messages here. One is it goes away. <laughs> That's important for, for parents to know. Uh, but two, this can take a while and we need treatment to help you bridge that time because, you know, it, it could be years. Uh, and hey, in children, do, are there any predictors um, for how long it will take, when it will go away? So we found a few biomarkers, for example, CD63 or muscle activation markers and basophil count. The associates, so when the basophil count is low and the CD63 is high, so more markers like of autoimmunity seems to be resolving faster in children. And we, it's not clear why it happens, but this is one of the things that we've found. And again, maybe it's indicating that in children it's a bit of, a, bit of a different pathogenesis. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, look, there's a, a lot of new treatment options being explored now, including uh, non-injectables, which may be uh, something that pediatricians are especially looking forward to. Do you have uh, a, a favorite target right now that you want to see explored um, uh, really hard? So uh, I think there are a few targets that we should explore. We should really explore things that, for me, most interesting. For anything that will really stabilize or reduce the activation of mast cells, because I find that it will help many mast cells related disorders and not chronic urticaria, in which mast cell plays a major role. Um, so many intracellular signaling molecules are of interest. Of course, TCLP is of interest. Um, things that are associated with PATH receive the effect of flupatidine. Um, and of course, uh, a monoclonal that will be even uh, with higher affinity than omalizumab, like ligilizumab, that we are currently involved in uh, a center for ligilizumab yeah. study in, uh, in teenagers. Absolutely, that is being studied in the younger age groups, and that's uh, an exciting new way forward. I I agree. Hey, I've I just thought of something else that I imagine makes it a little bit more difficult to be a pediatrician urticariologist as compared to someone who mostly sees adults. How do you measure this in children, especially in uh, you know we yeah. have. We, you know, you know all the tools that we have for the adults, no. But there's a 
a difficulty in communicating when you're essentially communicating through the parents and it is hard to say is this a three out of ten or seven out of ten or a uct of 11 or 16 how do you do this so that's another problem another gap that we try to bridge so the 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 tools to um assess the activity of chronic care in adults are actually not validated in children the us7 and urinary care control tests so we are now in, in the process of trying to validate that in children, but we find that it seems to be working well when you ask these questions of parents. So when you do the US 7 and you ask the mother, I mean, when everything is controlled, she will show you the 0, 0, 0, 0. And usually there's less of an issue of compliance here because it's, it seems that when you tell the mother, give a rupatidine five milligrams a day for a child, she'll give it. It's not like, you know, it's an adult that, you know, forgets and so on. Parents are very vigilant in that. So the anxiety here plays to uh, our advantage when you speak about the management. And they feel very vigilantly uh, and uh, the uh, Uricure Activity Score. And we do also the UCT, of course, over time. And now we're in the process of validating these two tools by correlating them with the quality, uh, the dermatology quality of life is already validated for children. Correct. Yeah. So um, I think it's extremely important because, you know, when you see them first time, you say it's horrible, he has hives all the time. And when you see the US 7, when the parents come, well, it's zero, zero, zero. Once he takes the medication, yeah, he forgot two days and you get a flare, but that's what you expect, you know? So yeah. I think it's a very important tool to use in children. Well, thank you for doing that. That's, that's excellent. I really think we need that. Um, of course, we also need biomarker. We need so many things, Marcia. We already talked about at least 10 things that we would like to have. Hey, our time is almost up, but I'm not going to let you go without making a decision on what is the most important question in chronic urticaria, in pediatrics and chronic urticaria for you as a pediatrician, clinician, researcher with this favorite disease. What is the one question? If you had to decide, one question only, that you want answered fast? I would say that the most interesting question for me, the clinician scientist, is why. Is the why. As, a, as an investigator, is why that happens in certain children? Um, what are the triggers? I think it, your work on interleukin-24 is extremely important because it shows that there is an internal uh, uh, pathogenic mechanism that underlies chronic urticaria. It will be extremely important to show parents, you know, that the same or something similar happens in kids. Maybe it's a bit different in kids. Maybe they are genetic, you know. We know about new genetic disorders like hypertryptosemia. Uh, so we take tryptase for our patients, but we see that we find that very rare in children. Yeah. So probably there are other mechanisms as well underlying chronically caring children. But as a you know, person who questions things, I think that will be the most interesting for me because for me that will lead the, uh, the other answers. You know, once you know what's going on, you know um, what's the likelihood of it progressing and how you manage it. And let's think a little bit bigger, how to cure it. I mean, this is in the end, of course, uh, the, the holy grail, if you want, right. no? Uh, we're making good progress in bringing control of treatment to our patients, but we still can't cure. And I, right. that's what I would love to see happen. And you're right, you know, you cannot cure unless you know why this disease comes about. Moshe, this was so much fun. Thank you so much. Um, you. you are really, you know, uh, you're a driver of knowledge in the network. And I think, I truly believe, and you know that, um, uh, when we work together uh, within the network as uh, collaborators, that's when we can really make a difference, uh, especially when it comes to more tricky 
questions that uh, require resources, access. Hey, and if you're interested in the role of IgE against interleukin-24 in children with chronic spontaneous urticaria, I know just the team that can measure that for you. So let's get on the phone when we're done with this and let's talk some collaboration just like we do in the network all the time. Moshe, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me and thank you for leading that important initiative. Great episode. I am so happy Masha was with us today. Thank you so much and good luck to you, your future research, your ongoing research. People, this is all the time we have today. Another episode of All Things Urticaria. And that means you can already look forward to the next episode. And if you have something that we should talk about during that next episode, do let me know. There's more information on www.galen with a two between the A and the L minus ucare.com or just Google ucare and urticaria. And that's the first thing that comes up. Get informed, stay in touch, be safe, be well, goodbye. Medthority would like to thank Marcus Maurer for that fascinating insight into UCARE. If you have any other questions regarding urticaria, please feel free to ask us via our website, www.medthority.com. Remember to tune in for the next episode of All Things Urticaria. From all of us at All Things Urticaria from Medthority, have a lovely week.